Welcome to the Bag Drop, untold stories in golf. I'm your host and co-founder of New Club Golf Society, Matt Considine. Today, we have with us Chicago's very own, Nick Hardy. After a decorated collegiate career with the University of Illinois, Nick turned pro in 2018. In 2020, on the Cone Ferry Tour, he recorded six top 10 finishes and is currently ranked 276th in the World Golf Rankings. Nick and I cover ground from his junior days battling against his buddies in Northbrook to his present day tour life, the team he has assembled around him, and what it feels like to be the one guy on the golf course on 59 watch. Happened recently. While watching is great, playing is even better, which is why I hope more of you get in the game and sign up for New Club's first event of the season, The Hangout at Canal Shores. We are kicking things off with our sentimental favorite, Canal Shores in Evanston. The VFW Hall there will be hosting live music and food post-round. We even have a table for the kiddos, so there will be activities for the kids. We want you to bring your families. We want you to bring your friends, your dogs. Come out, hang out. Let's have a good time. The official partner for the Hangout this year is the Evans Scholars Invitational, which is happening May 27th through 30th at the Glen Club, as the rising stars of the Corn Ferry Tour, including the fine gentleman on this episode, will be rolling through Chicago, Illinois. General admission to the Evans Scholars Invitational is complimentary this year, courtesy ServPro of Glenview. Fans looking for something a little extra can purchase tickets to the Hangar, a premium spectator venue with food and drink included. For more information, visit esinvitational.com. All proceeds from the event will support Evan Scholars and the foundation's mission of providing full tuition and housing scholarships to deserving youth caddies. Now, without further ado, on to the show with Nick Hardy. Nick Hardy, welcome to the backdrop. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's great to be with you. Uh, you know, you're a, a Chicago golf legend in many ways. I know you're only 25 years old, but uh, your, your name obviously gets spoke uh, plenty when you're talking about Chicago golf. Um, personally, I actually got, you know, we've never played together, but I, I got something amusing to share with our, our audience. I played behind you in, in my first, it was kind of my comeback to amateur golf. I was, uh, I was a has-been. I wasn't playing very much. But 2016, I got into the Illinois Amateur at uh, St. Charles Golf Club. And I, w- I was playing in the group behind you. And I, you know, I, was, I was nervous, hadn't been back in competition in a while. I, I played my practice round. I scoped out all the, the ways I was going to you know, strategically plot my way around the golf course. And, and then you're hitting in front of me. You're teeing off. And you just smoke a drive. I can't remember if it was one or ten. You just, just no fear. You took a line that I wasn't even comprehending and, and you just had like a little chip and, and putt for your birdie to start the round. And I said, what am I doing out here, man? I can't, I can't hang with that. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I mean, you know, I've been fortunate to play this game for a long time, a lot of tournaments and whatnot, but yeah, that St. Charles was probably one of my best tournaments, uh, pretty, pretty much ever. So yeah, it was, it was a good week for me. Do you remember that week? You guys went so low. It was, uh, yeah. was it you and um, your other buddy that you grew up with? Brian Orr. Brian Orr. Yep. Well, you guys had, it was just the two of you at the top, just battling it out. Do you remember how many birdies you made that week? Yeah, I, I think I made um, 32 birdies and four bogeys for 70, 72 holes. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty, uh, pretty fun week for sure. I mean, there were a lot of birdies that week, but St. Charles is a great golf course. We just had some great weather and, you know, it was, uh, 
it's kind of soft conditions. So, you know, making a lot of putts, you, you're making birdies. I, I, I remember not seeing that many birdies out there, but, but leaving the week with just being a fan of, of yours and Brian's and um, so many of the younger Chicago guys that had so much talent, but also you, your, your group of friends that I, I think you went to the junior ranks with, like you guys are all such nice guys um, and, and, and easy to root for. Tell me a little bit about, you know, growing up in Chicago and the Chicago junior golf scene, what, what it was like for you. Yeah. You know, you said it, there are so many great guys around my age. Um, you know, not just great people and, you know, great families, but hard workers. Um, you know, I could rattle off a bunch of names here, Brian Orr, Patrick Flavin, Raymond Knoll, TK Kelly. I mean, there's tons of players that were winning these Illinois state amateur events and, um, kind of cleaning up in Illinois, but there are so many great players who had success in all these different colleges in the Midwest and pretty much nationwide. So, um, a lot of great guys, a lot of hard workers, um, a lot of guys who had success in colleges around the Big Ten and whatnot. And it was uh, it was just a good competitive competitive environment growing up for me, especially, you know, Doug Gim, too. He's made um, a lot of success on the PGA Tour already um, playing against him growing up there. It was just the IJGA and, um, you know, IHSA, they really competitive environments with a lot of great young players. And I hope I hope it's still the same today because um, great organizations. Now you're, you're coming back. Uh, well, first off, where do we find you today? I'm in Arizona today. I've, I've spent three winters as a professional out here in Arizona, um, living here in Scottsdale and, um, I love it here. It's, uh, you know, beautiful weather, just pretty warm, you know, very warm now, but, um, I've spent the last four weeks on the road for corn ferry events and the last seven of eight on the road. So, haven't been home much. Uh, it's good to be home for a week. And I, you know, I took this week off. Um, so, you know, it's good to have a little bit of a break for, you know, in the middle of the season here. Yeah. It's, it's, you, you can come back like this week, it's 45 degrees. I mean, you grew up as a Chicago kid. That's, that's perfect. That's plenty golf. warm, right? Yeah. <laughs> plenty warm. It's balmy. <laughs> it's balmy. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, come on back. You're, you're, we're ready for you whenever you are, but um, you are coming back because you're teeing it up uh, here in Chicago for the Evan scholars invitational. They're, they're a partner of, of a new club this year. And, um, we've been so excited to, to partner with them. Cause we got people that are going to be coming out to the events. They're going to be the, uh, honorary observers inside the ropes and get to, to walk along with you guys. Can you tell us a little bit about the, that tournament, that specific tournament, um, from your perspective as, as a player, uh, and obviously it's, it's important for you coming back to Chicago, but before we get to like the Chicago tie and, and, you know, being the hometown kid, um, what is it about the, the Evan Scholars Invitational that that's just special to, to all the guys, even though the, the guys that aren't from Chicago. Right. No, I just think it's uh, uh, one of the best events on the corn Ferry tour, you know, first off, uh, the tournament, the WGA, you know, the, the people who run this tournament are uh, incredibly successful in running tournaments, you know, amateur and professional level. So um, the WGA does a fantastic job with their events. You know, some of the best tournaments I've ever played in in my life are the Western Amateur and, and you know, Western Junior Amateur. Those events are, you know, the premiere of the amateur golf and uh, they do such a great job. Um, and I'm, I'm just very fortunate um, to have gotten, you know, a sponsor exemption in 2019 for this event. Um, and you know, they, they've given, you know, they've given me opportunity in this game and I'm just hoping to, you know, come back this year and play well and, um, hopefully draw a nice hometown crowd. That'd be really cool. 
Um, but I'm just looking forward to it because they run great events and they treat um, the players, the caddies, you know, the, the fans. It's just a all around great event. And obviously the Evan Scholar Foundation is such a great um, foundation that, you know, gives back really to the game in general and to people who love the game. So um, I think it's just all around just an event that I mark on my calendar every year for sure. Yeah. And they got all the, <clears throat> the caddies will be out there from the caddy Academy and uh, yeah, it just has a bit different feel from maybe some of the other pro events that I've been a spectator at. Uh, one of the biggest feels is that you can get kind of up close and personal, not, not up in your business, you know, as, as a player, but you, you definitely, you know, you're not fighting crowds and especially right now, po- post COVID, it's going to be very different anyways. But um, I mean, I don't think people really understand that, like one, how close you guys are to the highest stage of the game, right? I mean, yeah. it's just moments you know, swings and, and, and just, uh, percentages away. And, and as a fan of golf, we get to be right there with you guys, which is, you know, you go out to, uh, the, the Western golf association does a great job running, you know, the, the BMW too, when it's in town, yep. but it's, it's not like this. Like you can't get, you, you feel like you're in the action. And, um, for you guys, is that kind of, cause it's not like you have mobs of fans on a weekly basis on the corn Ferry tour, but, uh, is, is it a little bit more here in Chicago? Yeah, so, um, you know, I just think that on the Corn Ferry Tour, obviously it's not it's not putting it lightly that you've got literally future stars playing on this tour that are going to be on the PGA Tour next year, um, first of all. But second of all, you can get closer to these um, players. And, uh, you know, you don't have as much to deal with, like you said, on the PGA Tour in terms of, like, running around and fighting people to get close to players. But you can actually hear player caddy conversations on the course and, get closer on the range. I think that's all makes for a, you know, a great, great event, you know? All right. So coming back to the tournament and, you know, being from Chicago. So let's talk about that. Like what are the feelings of a normal corn fairy week uh, back home versus being away? Yeah. Um, you know, it's definitely different playing a home event and getting to stay at home. I mean, you're kind of, you're kind of already out of routine from what, you know, you're normally your, your schedule is on the road. I mean, you're seeing your family. I mean, that's great. It's all good things, but it's definitely kind of, kind of steers your focus away, I think, which can be good, but also can be bad. So um, I've played home events before, so I think I'll be, you know, kind of well-versed with how to handle, you know, all the different things that entail with a, a week at home. But um, I'm just going to try to keep my focus on what I'm trying to do at the golf course instead of, you know, trying to, you know, it, it should be a little different with, I think, fans coming out too. And a lot of people that know me and I know them, and, um, it's just going to be about trying to just steer my focus, stay, keep it on the, on the course, you know? It's, it's interesting to hear you, you say, cause I, I, you know, when I was a collegiate player, I, I felt the same way, like my home tournament, I had more fans and everyone would say, Oh, home course advantage or home court advantage, you know, just like in other sports. Right. And I always see found it the inverse is that I had to really push myself to focus in. So, um, but it seems like you, you, you definitely do that. Cause you finished what last year in this thing, I looked it up this morning. I think you were just outside the top 10, right? Yeah. I think I finished 13th last year. So I, I played well, um, had a good week last year, uh, at the home event. So, you know, and I, and I know the Glen Club really well. So, you know, I played a lot of tournaments there and I grew up about five minutes away from the course. So I know it really well. So that should, that should just, the experience alone on the golf course helps a lot. What are some keys to playing the Glen Club? 
Um, I would say keep it in the fairway because I think end of May we could start seeing some nice long rough. Um, but keeping it in the fairway will be huge. Um, and we're not sure. You know, you never know what type of weather we're going to get end of May. It could be, you know, it could be March-like weather. It could be July-like weather. Who knows? But uh, that's that's something to be ready for. And, and my experience playing, you know, in, in Chicago in the springtime is nice because, you know, you can get a northeast wind coming off the lake and it could be 55 or 50 degrees and cold, or you could get a south or west wind and the ball could be going forever. So uh, I kind of know how to play both, you know. So um, I think we could see two days like that and two days like the other way. So, I mean, uh, having that experience is going to be big, I think. What was it last year? I know there's a lot of rain leading up to the event and it wasn't at the Glen Club. It was over at Chicago Highlands. But, uh, but you guys got a lot of wind, didn't you? Oh, it was like the worst week ever. I mean, we got so unlucky with the weather. It was early September. It should be perfect. And it was just like, just rainy, wet, cold. It was, it was so weird. It was bizarre. I told all my buddies on the tour, I'm like, trust me, this is not normal in early September. It's usually perfect. out. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a little bummer, disappointing, but the tournament was still awesome. The course still played great. And um, everyone did a great job, I thought. Well, I, I get good vibes about the weather for you guys this year. It's Memorial Day weekend. I mean, yep. on, the golf gods will be in your favor. Um, I agree. You talked about growing up only five minutes away from the Glen Club. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, your for those listeners that may not know you. Uh, and we got plenty of listeners outside of Chicago as well. But um, how'd you get into golf? I got into golf. I got first got started through my dad. I, I followed my dad around everywhere I went when I was when I started walking, and uh, he would chip balls in the backyard. He wasn't a big golfer, but he was a golfer, um, and I would just follow him with plastic clubs, banging golf clubs, golf plastic balls in the backyard around. And by the time I was three or four, I got my first little mini set of clubs and went over to Annettsburger, which is a local bar three course in Northbrook. Grew up there, uh, played Annettsburger and Sportsman's growing up. Um, you know, with my buddies and my dad mainly. I played so much golf with my dad growing up. Um, but, but you know, when I turned 16, I got uh, a youth membership deal at uh, the, the, the Merit Club. And uh, it's really, you know, no club does something like that. But, you know, I have a lot of – I'm very thankful for the Merit Club and uh, Mr. Don Peeper, who's the general manager and head pro there. Uh, he started a program um, that basically helped out helps out uh, kids in the area who don't, uh, you know, have access to a, a private golf club and uh, can uh, kind of find a spot to play and practice with their buddies and friends and, you know, bring out friends for cheap. And just, it, it's just an amazing deal, uh, amazing thing he's got going on to help grow the game up the Merit Club. I think it should be getting more attention, but um, it really is, it really benefited me immensely in terms of my growth. Um, so I still uh, play and practice out of the Merit Club to this day. And, that's where, that's where I call home. It's one of our favorites too, as part of the golf society, we we've gotten to know Don Peeper quite well. And he, he is one of the, uh, the grand old men in golf. He's not as old as he might make you think. He's uh, not, he's not that old, <laughs> but he's been around. He, he is, uh, he's got extremely, stories that are old. <laughs> yes, extremely, um, well versed and educated in, in the game of golf in Illinois, especially. So, He's the best. He's uh, he he really runs a, a nice court, you know, facility at, at the Merritt Club. He does a great job there, and uh, he really does a great job. And just in the Illinois PGA, I think just growing the game in general, he really kind of deserves more of a 
a nod or a shout out. I think he's uh, he's doing great things. I, I I agree with you so much there, and, and Mr. Getz has allowed him to, to do a lot yep. of those. He's things. an he's an Evan scholar. Mr. Bieber is an Evan scholar himself. So that's right. Um, he really uh, he really tries to make uh, the caddy program at, at the Merit Club special, and it, and it really is everything about it. Yeah, yeah, and and you guys, I, I wish that program would be picked up more often because I know it's it's, it's not just so unusual because it, I mean it's a club that's you know not really like not trying to make a dime off these kids but just try to grow the game and it's it, it, it really you have to give a lot of credit to the Getz family as well the ownership of the club it allows it passes on you know it's like it's it's totally up to the ownership of the club and Mr. Getz Burt Getz and uh, the whole Getz family allowing to do that is is incredible. I mean, yourself, obviously, uh, they're very proud of your success. There's some other guys, though, that have come out of that program. Who, who are they? Yeah, Patrick Patrick Flavin. Um, he's, he's about my best buddy. Brian Orr is, is there. Charlie Nikitas. Um, you know, a lot of great players um, in, the, in the Illinois, kind of northern part of the Illinois region. They really um, benefited from the miracle. Let's get into some of your golf. So your low career professional round is 60, six zero, which you shot recently down in Florida. Yep. Um, so to, to all of our listeners who are, you know, their, their goal this year is to break 80, break 90, you know, they're grinding out there trying to make their strides. Tell us what it feels like when you get in that zone and you're going that low. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun, honestly. It's just, you're just flowing. I mean, really not caring. Um, that's really the key is just not caring about, you know, really just the result in general. But, um, you know, I had struggled for the three rounds that week. Uh, I played, I was in last place <laughs> going into Sunday and I teed off first and um, I kind of had a good swing thought on the range the day before. And I totally kind of freed myself up and said, you know what, let's just you know, let's just go be aggressive and play confidently. And I finally played it confidently and had some putts drop. Um, that was key, but I really just, you know, it was flowing. I was going, I mean, I just wasn't afraid to go lower either. I really kind of like, I really tried to chase 59, but, um, I just played fantastically. It was one of those rounds where you kind of walk off the course and you're like, I'm not really sure I could have done any better. <laughs> I mean, it was, it just was that one of those rounds, which never really happened maybe once a year. So that's always, uh, always a treat, you know? Well, you, you see, you know, go on Twitter and you see all the, the, uh, mental collapse of folks who, you know, are trying to shoot 79 for their first time. And they start thinking about that number 79. So you mentioned 59. When, when did it first, you know, when you're out there, when did it cross your mind? They're like, yeah, we're on 59. When I, when I birdied number nine and shot 30 on the front, that's when I first thought about it. Um, I, was like I knew I could uh, I have a had a shot at it it was Sunday though and the pins were kind of hard honestly it was like it was not the easiest uh setup on the pin placements and uh, I think I birdied 10 and 12 so I was 7 through 12 and I knew I needed four on my last six holes and 13 and 14's pins were just really hard and I made pars on those holes but um, I birdied 15, a short part four, and then I needed to go birdie, birdie, birdie to shoot 59. And I missed about a 20 footer on 16 and then 17 to the par five at six iron in the green at a 30 footer missed it, but I birdied 18 to, to close the 60. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. I, I have a very strong feeling that will not be your last 59 watch. I mean, it's, <laughs> I hope uh, so. 
it's something that, um, you know, being a Chicago amateur golfer and, and following other others career, I know, I know that a lot of, uh, your, your swing coach and your college coach, Mike small, um, they've always commented not on your, you know, incredible ability with the golf club, which, which certainly is, is there, but also your, um, your positive mentality on the golf course. You know, a lot of people do say that you just have a very uh, positive attitude while, while you're out there. What, where did your mental game strength, you know, come from? Was it always kind of natural or did you have to, did you have to really work at it? Um, I've honestly always been really hard on myself. Um, you know, even as just a really young kid, I, I, I was always like, thought I should be perfect. You know, like I just expected perfect. <laughs> and I kind of earned that through like, just because I always worked hard at it. So I, I, I knew I worked at it. So, I mean, it's impossible to be perfect in the game of golf, but like just the way I practiced from a young age, I, I felt like I should be perfect. And so I kind of carried that standard or expectation or whatever you wanted to call it of myself at a young age. So I always just carried myself to a high standard, but um, really I worked, I've always worked hard and I've always believed that, you know, if I put the work in that, um, you know, I'm not entitled. I'm, I, I should be expecting uh, this certain standard. Um, and so I knew, you know, I've always, because I've always been hard on myself, I've learned to kind of tone back a little bit, but, um, you know, kind of use what I call the five second rule that we really did well at the Illinois at Illinois, where like after five seconds of each shot, you just got to let it go let it, and accept the result. And, um, you know, focus on whatever's next. And it, it sounds simple. It sounds really just stupid, but not many people, not as many people as you think are successful at that in the professional game and just in the game in general. Um, they kind of dwell and um, kind of fester, you know, over bad shots. But I try not to let myself do that. Um, I'm really hard on myself. Uh, I, I, you know, but I, I really kind of have mastered that, I think. Is it when that, um, it's such a great message for everybody's golf game is not, not dwelling on the, you know, the, the past, but when you're right. out, when you're out there and your thoughts might go to the past, do you uh, actively block it out or do you, do you focus on something else? Um, I just, I just immediately put myself on surveying the next shot, whatever I have next. Um, I just, I, I just don't let that bad energy go through my blood. You know, I just kind of just throw it out and kind of, um, just kind of picture envision, you know, the next shot I have coming up. Um, and I just kind of, you know, because I carry myself to a high standard, I feel like, um, you know, I just don't, I don't even let expectations creep in. I just, I just carry myself to that standard every day. So if I, if I can do that and be consistent with my approach with my mental game like that, then, you know, there's, there's, I'm not going to get in the way of myself. I'm not going to step on my toes out there, you know? You, uh, you brought up the U of I team and, and the, the Mike small dynasty, if you will. I mean, you guys have been so good for, for so long. What do you think are some of the, the keys to that culture that, that has built yeah. there? Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's a few that stand out to me compared to other schools that, you know, I, I mean, no disrespect to other schools, but coach small, the, the, what he's the best at is establishing a culture. Like you said, he, um, establishes a culture of, of um, competitiveness, number one. I mean, he gets guys who want to compete. Um, and really what their goals are is to be a professional golfer after school. So he gets guys to, to buy into um, competing. And there's really no entitlement in the, in the whole um, 
in the, in that culture in Illinois, there's no entitlement to, to, you know, it doesn't matter who you are for perfect examples. This is every time we showed up to, to campus in the fall, you would have everyone do a six round qualifier. Uh, nobody's exempt. Doesn't matter if you won the USAM, you, you got to go qualify for the first event for six rounds. And I love that because, you know, his message was, look, in the game of golf, you can go win a tournament and you have to, you know, the next week, it doesn't matter. You know, you know, like you got to go prove it all, again, all over again. Um, and, you know, there's no, there's no, you know, given in golf, um, like, you know, in, in the NBA or baseball or any other sport, you can sign five-year contracts and it's all guaranteed. In, in golf, it's a year-to-year deal. It's a week-to-week deal. You got to go out there and prove yourself every single day. Um, and that's kind of the, the culture he establishes. So there's no entitlement at all. Like there's nobody thinking they're better than anyone else on the team or they're above anyone else. Like you are a part of the team and everything's about winning at Illinois and winning as a team. Um, and there's not that many, you know, cultures like that in college golf because it's so hard to um, get 16, 17, 18 year olds to buy into something like that, you know, like going to a school like that, because, Really, they're just a lot of the best recruits are one way thinking out the door, you know. So and they want to be good to play too. So it's yeah, it on the fact that hey, you're you're going to have a scholarship maybe, but you're not guaranteed. But that's but it, it's so it's so rewarding when you buy into that environment because you got eight to ten guys on the team who are just comp- competing, really, just competing as hard as they can. And every single day in practice, I, I showed up and I was I was like. I don't know what we're going to do today, but it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be something that's going to challenge me and it's going to be something I'm not going to like. And you there, there, I can name, I mean, hundreds of other schools don't do it that way. You show up to practice and it's just a, you know, everyone's talking about their girlfriends or school or, you know, they're not focused or not buying into like whatever's going on. Like they're going to practice just to have a social hour. <laughs> we're going to practice to like, actually get our butts kicked in like literally we're uh, we're we're, like if we're losing in something then we got to get literally on the versa climber and do about 200 steps like there's like consequences in in our practices like i knew like that's why i love showing up to practice illinois because you know with coach like he would make us do things that we didn't like at all and it made us better and that's why we we win and where we've always kept winning as a team it's just because we do things that other teams would be like, what? And like, this isn't a golf school. This is, a, this is some sort of football program. Like the way that it's run, it, it really is. But um, it's, it makes you better. It really does. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, coach doesn't get the best players in the country. You know, he never has. He never, he never gets top 10 recruits. He never does. But um, he gets guys who are competitive, who really want to be professional golfers. And um you know, buy into just that sort of culture, you know? So I'm curious about that transition from that culture. Cause I've heard some, some good stories about that, you know, Bob, yeah. Bobby Knight has stories. I mean, obviously he, he, yeah. he, Mike's great guy. And, um, but as you transition, you know, people of your caliber or players of your caliber that then transition to the pr- professional ranks, what's it like making that trendi- transition where, you know, there's no more coach really it's you mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's on you. It I, is. It is a lot different. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, the one thing I missed from school and, and the four years in Illinois is just like what I said, the competitive environment, the, uh, the having the, the, your buddies to practice with and play with every day and a structure 
that's tailor-made for your success and, and kind of building for tournament golf. Um, when you're out on your own, like you, you gotta, you try to do some things that made it competitive at school, but you don't really, and not everyone's on the same schedule as a pro golfer. So your buddies may not be home or like you're more on your own and you kind of got to learn how to compete with yourself. Um, I've always learned how to compete with myself, even growing up. Like I said, I, I kind of held myself to a certain standard. Well, I do that in practice too. Like I, I kind of do things in practice where I make myself cheat certain things every single day. Just it's kind of sort of a, a bottom line for me where for where I'm at and any certain part of my game. So um, it, it is an adjustment, learning how to like structure yourself on your own. And some guys are not good at it all. Some are are, are very good at it. But um, you got to be very disciplined. And you still have, you know, uh, plenty of other U of I alums that are, are out there, you know, chasing the dream and on tour, mm-hmm. um, D- Dylan Meyer, including a good friend of yours from that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you guys continue to support each other? Is that still a part of the fabric? Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're Dylan and I talk almost every day. I mean, we are, we were always very competitive, but we're best buds. You know, we got each other's backs and that's the same in the pro game. It's just, it's harder. Um, to like, you know, obviously you're not teammates anymore, but like, um, you've always got each other's backs out there. We're, we're, um, you know, we're rooting for each other, pulling for each other, but, um, you know, it's just professional game is there's so many ups and downs, you know, I mean, with, with COVID the last two years, I mean, everyone's kind of stuck in the mud with status. So, um, it's kind of hard to shuffle up and down as quickly as you can, like normal years. So, um, you know, I, we, we are definitely always supporting each other though. Has, has this past year uh, been like that? I know there's a lot of people that are kind of froze, but is yeah. are, do you hear a lot of guys that are, you know, at your level or, be, or below that, that kind of say, hey, I don't know if I can wait another year. You know, are, are people actually sure. kind of dropping their dream? Are you, are you hearing that? Uh, I don't think so as much as you think. Like, I mean, I'm sure people had to because of this COVID deal, but, um, you know, I feel like, you know, if you're a pro with no money, you're, you're doing whatever you can to kind of like, kind of keep this dream alive. I mean, there are so many guys that are, you know, like that trying to make it, but, um, you know, it just gives more time to try to, you know, work a side job or do something else to try to make some money to save up for Q school this, this fall. So I'm sure it's going to be a busy, busy Q school year, uh, for corn Ferry, but, um, I, I don't think there's many guys that had to get totally give it up because of COVID, but I'm sure that definitely put a, you know, maybe a nail in the coffin for, for some, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You, you racked up college, uh, accolades, you know, awards and honors, uh, all American first team, big 10 player of the year. Uh, the, the award I wanted to ask you about was the 2018 big 10 sportsmanship award. Um, you know, what is, what does sportsmanship mean to you? Yeah. Um, you know, it just means being a good person. I mean, it means being a good competitor, um, you know, being a good loser. I think being a, um, you know, being a gentleman, that's what it means. It's just being, being, a, being a, being a gentleman and respecting others, uh, respecting authority, respecting other coaches, you know, uh, or other players. I just think, um, you know, you know, just, you know, just because I, I won those awards doesn't, doesn't mean that I'm better than someone else or I'm, I'm, I'm above some above, above other people. We're all, you know, we're all competing on the same level on the same playing field. So, you know, I just try to be a good playing partner, a good teammate, um, and a good pupil really. I know that, and I'm, 
you know, I'm blessed to have won that award. Yeah. I, I, that's a big deal. I mean, like I said, I've never played with you, but I, I I've played with a lot of really talented players who, you know, after the round you're hanging out uh, in the clubhouse, like they're, they're really great guys and they're just, um, they're, they're awesome people to, to be around, maybe go have a beer with, uh, shoot some pull. But then when you get in competition, it's, it's very, it's very different. And not to say that they're like bad guys, but there, there's definitely like this sportsmanship of, um, and, and I know people that win these awards, right. In my conference, it was a Mac conference. I remember the people that won it, they, they were, that sportsmanship was there. You know, you wanted to have a beer with them and hang out afterwards, but they, they had the same, uh, spirit on the course too, where, whether it was right. going through like rules infractions, just wanting to do the right thing, or they, they, they wanted to, you know, kick your ass. Like we all do. Right. They, they, right. Right. It's not but like, they respected you. They respected, right. they respected that, you know, they, they didn't disrespect your space, you know, they just respected you, um, you know, but they wanted to beat you. That's, that's kind of a good way to put how I play, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, you got that, that spirit, but, uh, but it's like, I'm going to, you're going to play great. and I'm going to root for you every step of the way, yeah. but I'm going to play that much better. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Uh, I got to ask you about this because we've had Ryan French on this podcast before the Monday yeah. Q school. I mean, he just, or Monday Q info. Um, one of our favorite people in golf, you know, the guy is, is telling those stories. One he broke in January is just, is hilarious, but it's, it's, uh, I was going to give you a chance to address it. Um, that, <laughs> that you may have allegedly, uh, maybe, maybe peed your pants a little bit intentionally to back up a teammate who unintentionally did the same thing is, can you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah. So, um, I think the player wants to be on name still that told him the story, but the story is true. Um, you know, I remember, um, definitely that big 10 championship. It was the second round. Um, I think we were, you know, we were playing all right. We were around the top of the leaderboard, um, big weight on one of these par three holes in maybe three groups on the tee. And, uh, this one player that doesn't want to be named is kind of a sensitive person. And um, I knew that, I mean, he's a younger teammate and he was just a little bit sensitive. So I, uh, you know, I, I saw him have a little bit of a trouble, I guess, in the, you know, coming back from uh, the woods on his pants. And I'm like, well, I, you know, there's like 12 other guys in the D box. I don't want him to be like, you know, feeling really kind of sorry for himself. I, you know, I wanted to, you know, I, I was really just a spur of the moment deal. Like, honestly, like I, I wasn't just other than just trying to be a good teammate. That's really nothing else to it. It was just a spur of the moment deal and maybe a little bit of a joke, but really just making him feel better, you know? So um, I kind of did it myself just to kind of like, you know, kind of make him feel comfortable and make him feel, uh, a, you know, maybe not alone. So, and not embarrassed. So I did it and, I didn't even think anything of it, honestly. I, I really didn't. He didn't really tell this story much to other people the last couple of years any, either. And he finally decided to share it on the big stage. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't mind it. I think it's funny. I mean, uh, I think it's flattering that this story got big. But um, I really honestly did not think anything of it. I was just trying to be a good friend <laughs> and uh, help out a, a teammate who I knew that was a little sensitive uh, feel better. <laughs> it's i mean it's great nick and <laughs> it tells me two things about you that i didn't know before reading that one 
I knew you were confident after I saw you, you know, smoke <laughs> a drive at, at uh, the 2016 state am, but doing that, I really knew you were confident because <laughs> if, if you got the confidence to do that and stand up there back on the team in front of those guys and, you know, then take care of business on the golf course. That is another level of confidence. So I, I learned that about you. And then two, I learned that, you know, you deserve that sportsmanship award because that is, uh, <laughs> that is coming to your, your teammates, you know, his shoulder and in, in need, uh, in, in a very, yeah. a very interesting way, but I love that. Too. Yeah. That is so funny. Yeah, no, it is funny. No, he, uh, he's, he was, the teammate not named is a great teammate. He's a great guy. And, uh, I'll share one thing about him that gives you kind of a light of why he's sensitive. Well, he showed up to school and he like wrote on his glove, one of the first practices, like smile with a smiley face on it. <laughs> and uh, Coach Small got it, like, was like, what the heck is this? Like, <laughs> and he's like, it's just reminding me to, to be happy on the course. And Coach like, was like, what is this? <laughs> this is not, this is not right. <laughs> but I mean, that's just like, that's just, he's, you know, happy go lucky kid. Yeah. That's, that's what, that's, yeah. Yeah. Now, if yeah. it would have been a, a, a two instead of a one, I mean, are you still that teammate? <laughs> I, I cannot say that publicly. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah. There, there are, there are levels of this. Stuff. There's levels. Um, I was, uh, we, we talked a lot about your team and your teammates and support. So your current team, though, like, you know, the people that you rely on, whether it's swing coach, what, what does it look like when you, put that together, right? You, you make the decision right. to turn pro. Um, you know that you need these, these added elements. Uh, how did you assemble your, you know, everyone calls them yeah. team. How, how'd you do that? And who are they? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, great question. Yeah. When, when everyone sees these professional golfers, they just see the professional golfer and they don't see their teams or respective people who help them out every single day. Um, and a lot goes into it for a pro golfer. I mean, like, you know, you need help. And uh, I got a lot of help, I mean, for a very long time. I mean, my, I'll start with my swing coach. My swing coach, Brett Packey, and I have been working together since I was 10 years old. Um, and so like 15 years now. So um, we've developed such a great repertoire just in terms of like, you know, a team kind of like we, we, um, he really, he really taught me the golf swing, um, first of all. And he taught me like my golf swing and why things why certain things I do well are good and why, why certain things I don't do well are bad. And really over this past 15 years, we've developed such a good um, dialogue. I'd say that it's benefited me immensely. And it's a reason why I'm, I think I'm one of the most consistent players on the corn fairy tour is really because of this dialogue that we have. Um, I'm able to like fix myself, um, whether it's my golf swing or my putting stroke or anything, I'm able to kind of fix myself uh, after a bad round or after I'm hitting it poorly or whatever, um, because of this dialogue that we've created. And just because I know what to look for, I know how to pay attention to details. Another thing that coach Small taught me really well is just how important it is to pay attention to the little details, just about your game. Um, and so that's, these are the reasons why I'm able to kind of like flip the switch. And like after three bad rounds, for example, in Florida, I'm able to shoot one of my best rounds of all time. It's just, this is the reason because, I uh, have great dialogue with my coach, Brett Packey. And, you know, I think that's such a huge component for any pro golfer is to like learn the whys and the, the little details in your game so that when you're on the road alone, like I am the last seven of eight weeks, I haven't seen Brett in over two months. So 
when I'm in these stretches where I don't see my swing coach, I need to be able to, without him, learn how to fix myself. I know, you know, I got FaceTime, I'm like to FaceTime, but like, um, you know, that's even different than being a person to person face to face. So because of that dialogue, I mean, that is a huge reason for my success nowadays and my consistency on the course. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of like segue this into my caddy, my caddy, Eric, uh, Marcus, he's on my, he's been on my bag since we were 17. Um, he caddied for me at, uh, the state am when I wanted St. Charles. And, um, even before that in the state ams that I played, the three state ams I played before that any summer event when I was, since I was a senior in high school or, or junior in high school, he's been caddying for me and that's pretty cool. Um, and he's still caddying for me as a professional when I'm 25. So, um, just the repertoire that I've kind of, the team that I've kind of created has been around since, you know, as early as my golfing days, honestly. And that's, you can't really, there's no professional golfer that can say that. I mean, um, really I, there's like, I, I've got a caddy and a coach that I've been around for a long time. They know my game, they know my you know personality, they know, uh, really how to tolerate me <laughs> to, to be honest. Um, sounds bad, but really it is. I mean, like they, they're there. I, I trust them hundred percent. Love them. I mean, I, I'm lucky to have that support. Um, and then, you know, uh, my, my manager is a part of the team as well. His name is Brad Buffoni. He, uh, he's known me since I was nine years old because he's from Milwaukee. My, my, uh, I've got a family, a bunch of family that lives in Milwaukee, played golf with my uncle ever since I was nine years old. So I've got these relationships that have started since I was so young, um, all of them. And that's really important to me. Um, you know, that, that is like, it's vital because you want to put a team around you as a pro golfer who you can trust. And these are people I've trusted for a long time. Yeah. That's, that's unique that they've known them all so long. And, yeah. um, and I think you have a girlfriend that keeps you honest too, right? I think she's, yeah, a, she's yep. a player if I am not mistaken. Yeah, she is. Yep. Uh, Liz, um, is her name. We've been dating for four years now. She, uh, she's a professional golfer as well. We actually met at the merit club in 2016, she, uh, she would stay, uh, with a member at the Merit club in the summers when she would come over here for golf. She's from Australia. She would come here for, uh, amateur events in our summertime and would stay in Chicago when she wouldn't have a tournament. So that's how we met, um, worked out pretty well. I mean, it's, we met at the Merit club of all places. It's pretty crazy, but, um, yeah, she's, uh, she's in Australia right now, but she, uh, she spent pretty much the whole winter with me here in Arizona. Um, we play in practice a bunch together. I mean, she's, she is very competitive. We're both very competitive. She pushes me on and off the golf course. She, uh, she definitely is a huge asset to my career because she, um, plays professional golf. Like, I mean, you don't have many wives or even, a, you know, if, if you're a woman and I'll have a husband in the same profession as you, like that's rare. Um, and she really, she, she understands every, how hard it is, but she understands the competitive nature, just everything about my profession. And I really do lean on her for a lot of things, um, uh, in, in any part of my game. Um, she's, she'll give me the brunt truth too, which is what I need. You know, I need to hear the truth. <laughs> if you could borrow any aspect of her golf game for your golf game, what would it be? hundred percent short game, chipping and pitching around the green. She is insane. Like, and, and, you know, no disrespect to women in general, but men generally have like incredible short games. But my girlfriend has a much better short game than me. Like, uh, she like spins it, like, you know, chips it, pitches it, just I, 
you know, basically to, uh, I perfection, like, um, she does these trick shot videos on, on Instagram and, um, they're all insane. Like, like it's, she always does them in like three tries too. She like, it's, it's insane. Um, and, and she's always been really talented at that. So I kind of lean on her for my short game pitching and chipping. She's given me many lessons over the years, um, in that area of the game. And <laughs> she, uh, she's helped me a lot, honestly. I, I, I was, that's been my weak point in my game forever, basically. And she's, uh, she's helped me improve that a lot. That's, that's, that's awesome. And are you guys like playing for dinner then? Like if you're going out for <laughs> a quick nine, is it, is it getting we're, intense? We're, I mean, we don't need to play for anything. We're both. Like, <laughs> yes. It doesn't matter. We're just playing for pride. It's plenty. <laughs> <laughs> that that is. Uh, it sounds like you surrounded yourself with a very uh, trusted and and you know team. So that's I see yeah. that as a theme of yours, just kind of through your junior career and your college career, and now as a pro, uh, just having a lot of good people around you. Yeah. Um, I got to ask you this: Your Twitter handle is Nick Hardy Eight, and your Instagram mm-hmm. is Nick Hardy Twenty Four. Yeah. Kobe fan? Uh, you know, that's a good guess. You know, you know what's funny is um my three favorite numbers are three, eight, and twenty-four. I grew up the biggest NASCAR fan. I was Dale Earnhardt fan. Okay. And I mean Dale Earnhardt Jr. fan and Jeff Gordon fan. Those are my three favorite NASCAR drivers, and those are my three favorite numbers. So um no, it's I am a huge Kobe fan. I mean, he's one of my all one of my top four favorite athletes of all time. Um, but no, it's not because of Kobe. It's because of Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt Jr. Amazing. <laughs> Do you, uh, yeah, yeah. I just, that was a shot in the dark. Cause I was like, come on. I mean, that's a, that's a good question because I never get asked that, but that was the first time I've been asked that. And like, I think people would think of Kobe Bryant, but I mean, I, he was an idol of mine and still is um, obviously just with his, competitiveness work ethic drive um he's probably the number one athlete that comes to mind in terms of those three things but um jeff gordon dale Earnhardt jr those are the reasons That's amazing. <laughs> i was not expecting yeah. that do you still do you still find time to watch nascar out on, when I, on the road? I mean if it's a sunday afternoon and uh i've got you know pj tour and, and nascar on, i'll switch back and forth but I'm not keeping up to week to week like I used to, like up, up until I kind of grew out of the phase when I was like 16, 17, 18. Uh, but growing up from when I was four years old to 16 years old, I, I just love NASCAR. Do, do you, did you ever go out to the Chicago Speedway? Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah a few times. Yep. When you're a kid and things go fast, man, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard so not to loud enjoy. and yeah, it's incredible. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. I got to go back. Well, I, I know this is uh, your off week. You got some practice to get to. I got one last thing for you. It's something we're doing on the podcast with every one of our guests this year. It's called the 19th soul. So it's, it's 18 questions to reveal the soul of the golfer. Uh, I've adapted some questions from a French philosopher of the 20th century, you know, real, real interesting stuff. And I've, and I've applied them to golf. So we're trying to find the truest nature of the golfer. Nick, are you up for this? I'm up for it. All right, here we go. Question one. And by, by the way, these are all supposed to be quick answer. Uh, if yeah. you find a lot of them, you could, you could spend a month thinking about, we don't need to do that. First thing that pops in your head, there is no right or wrong answer. Here we go. Yeah. Number one, Nick, when were you the happiest as a golfer? Mm, 
probably 2018 Big Ten champion. Number two, what's the scariest golf shot? 60-yard bunker shot. Number three, what is your go-to order at the halfway house? Hot dog and uh, fries or something. (laughs) (laughs) And a Powerade. That is a very Chicago answer. You got to have a hot dog. Come on, can't not have a hot dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number four, what is the trait you most deplore in your golf game? Uh, quickness. Number five, what is the quality you most look for in a playing partner? Um, mentality, mental strength, grit. Like that. Number six, what is the trait you most deplore in other golfers? Bad attitude. Can't have it. You just can't have it. Number seven, what words or phrases do you most overuse on the golf course? Gosh, darn. <laughs> Gosh, darn. Very, very Midwestern clean version. Gosh, darn. Or are you editing that for the podcast? I'm editing that, yes. <laughs> Number eight, what golfing talent would you most want to have? You got a lot of them already, but which one would you most want to have? A short game, because that's what I'm missing. Your girlfriend's short game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number nine, what is your most treasured golf possession? Um, Crystal Downs course record. Sick. <laughs> That's awesome. I did not know that. Number 10, what's the one thing in your golf bag you should throw out? Old bananas. <laughs> Those can get stinky. It's always a banana. I eat a ton of bananas during the tournament week. I mean, you would you you would throw up when you, if you learned how many I eat. <laughs> quick, quick banana story for you. I used to work the range at Firestone uh, for their professional tournaments and uh, in Akron, Ohio. And Bruce Litsky, who was like notorious, not a a practice. You know, he didn't practice. The guy just played. That's all he did. He just yeah. showed up at tournaments and shot five under and would head home. But he uh, he he opened his bag he set down his bag and his bag kind of smelled pretty funky he had like three bananas that were in there for six months like or, or just not his off season like three months you can't months. you can't come back from that no no, no that bag just just gets checked, yeah no out. you gotta no number 11 what is your favorite occupation at the golf course <sighs> superintendent it's a good one popular one on this show Number 12, have you ever asked another golfer for their autograph? Yeah. Did you get it? Yeah. I, I mean, the first, the first time I was at a golf course, I got Billy Andre's golf ball signature. That's, that's kind of what got me into the game when I was like two or three years old. <laughs> Billy Andre, what a guy that he yeah. was, too. Yeah. Tucson Open. Oh, that's cool. Number 13, what historical golf figure do you most relate to? Um, as a person or as just an object? As a person. Tiger. My idol. He's a good one. Uh, On the course, I try to be like him. Number 14, what is your, do, uh, do you have any golf regrets? Um, no. That is a confident answer. Number 15, <laughs> uh, what's your favorite golf book or movie? Has to be Happy Gilmore. It's the best one. Um, book? 
anything about Tiger Woods. Is there one? Is there one like you you go back to from time to time? Um, I mean, I've read that Tiger Woods book a couple of times. I just I, I find his career fascinating, but um, no, I mean, other golf books. I mean, Seven Days Utopia is kind of informative. I would say. I mean. But I I can't I can't name another one off the top of my head. <laughs> no, that's those are those are all good. And you got Happy Gilmore. You've lived yeah. Billy Madison basically in your yeah. Monday Q story. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I see a lot of Adam Sandler. Number yeah. six, number sixteen. What is your least favorite hole in all of golf? Oh, oh, man, that's uh, I bet I have, I have a lot of them. Trust me. I just I off the top of my head, you're putting me on the spot. It's hard to say. Yeah, this people um, struggle with this one. Shoot, I want to give one for the fans here. What's a bad hole? What's <laughs> a bad hole that that Chicago fans could could relate to? That's what I'm trying to think of. Um, shoot, public popular public course. Um, I can't come up with one. I'm I don't want to bad mouth the course. Here no, either. I know. I know. It's put, <laughs> as a professional golfer, it's putting you in yeah. a tough spot. So. I don't, how about a favorite? Let's flip it. Can you give me a favorite? I want a hole like you really look forward to playing. Yeah. Um, honestly, you know, I don't think a lot of golf fans golf, you know, know about this course, but Crystal Downs is a special place in my heart. I mean, I got I grew that's another place I grew up because my grandpa's a member there. Um, and it's a, a course up in northern Michigan, um, highly rated Alistair McKenzie. And any core any hole up there is my favorite hole in the world. It's it's my favorite golf course. But probably number seven at Pebble Beach is is really a just a, a such a cool hole. little little wed. What's your shot there? What's your ball flight like? Oh, I got it. You got to hit a little, you know, with no wind. The picture picture that whole no wind. It's hard to picture, but um, it's a it's definitely like a, a low flighted fifty five degree wedge or some sort. Yeah, uh, what a cool hole. What a cool spot. Uh, we're on seventeen. Two to go. Do you listen first pre-question? Do you listen to music on the golf course at all? Oh, uh on the course, I would love I like if someone has got a boombox or whatever, I'm listening 100 percent to probably country or rolling stones or some sort of classical rock. That's probably those are my two favorite genres, but um I do like to listen to, to music I'm playing for fun. Well, here's the tough question to answer. So one song to listen to on the golf course for your the rest of your life, what is it? Sympathy for the Devil, Rolling Stones. Nice. That's a great answer for a 25-year-old too, man. Going with the Stones. The Stones are my favorite band of all time. time That's close. great. That's They yeah. are timeless. Yeah. Timeless. All right. My last question for you, Nick. If you had a motto, maybe you do, what would it be? No quit, Nick. No quit, Nick. Is that is that inscribed on some stuff in the golf bag, perhaps? No, but I thought about it like a few few months ago. I think it's just a, a cool little thing. I think that's a really cool thing. Hey, man, thank you for uh, coming on the bag drop, talking a little bit, getting us ready to. Uh, excited to see you when you're in town for the Evan Scott. I am too. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. Uh, you know, a lot of fun. Thank you for having me on. I'm looking forward to the week. It's going to be a great week. I hope there's a lot of North, Northbrook people and Chicagoland people who come out and make the tournament. It's, I think, uh, you know, there should be pretty much no limit on fans now by then. So, um, you know, hope, hope everyone comes out and supports the tournament. Like we said, you get to get closer up to the action and um, see great players and future stars on the PGA Tour. So come on out. 
I'll be uh, I'll be up in the the hangar, that little uh, behind eighteen area that they got set up. I'll be up there. That's a good spot. Watching you rolling, watching rolling that putt for fifty nine. One of those days, I'll look Let's forward to go. that. Let's go. Let's <laughs> go. Let's go. All right, Nick. Well, take care, man. Enjoy your travels. And uh, you too, Matt. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you are not a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to follow us on Twitter or Instagram, we're at New Club Golf. This episode was produced by Mark Caldwell with research assistance by Jim Sitar. The bag drop is supported by members of New Club Golf Society and our official partners. The Evan Scholars Invitational is our official partner of this year's Hangout at Canal Shores. The future stars of the PGA Tour return to the Glen Club on May 27th through 30th for the Corn Ferry Tour's Evan Scholars Invitational. General admission to this event is complimentary this year, courtesy Serve Pro of Glenview. Fans looking for an upgraded experience can purchase tickets to The Hangar, a premium spectator venue with food and drink included. For more information and to secure your tickets, visit esinvitational.com, and I will see you at the Evans Scholars Invitational.